0: Hello,
1: and welcome to the SATE podcast. You are listening to a discussion on teaching the Holocaust through fiction. This podcast was recorded on the 19th of August 2020. We hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the latest SATE webinar. Today we are going to be talking about using fiction to teach the Holocaust with Paula Cowan and Henry Maitlis. Um, Just to let you know about what we're talking today, um, we are going to be talking about using fiction to teach the Holocaust. We are going to be looking at different texts and different sources, and we're also going to be looking at classroom practice. Really quickly, um, welcome to another webinar from SATE. Um, SATE is the Scottish Association for the Teaching of English, and we're part of the National Association for the Teaching of English, that is NATE, which is a whole UK organisation. Uh, in general, we advocate an inclusive approach to teaching that focuses on the child. We recognise that the need to be responsive to the experiences, interests and language of students. We've had loads of great webinars in the uh, recent past. And if you wanna see more of those, you can check them out on our YouTube site um, after you've watched this one. And um, Please remember to click the subscribe button at the bottom so that you can see more of our webinars in the future. Um, really quickly, um, Susan uh, Brownlee is gonna come in and join me um, to introduce our talk, uh, talk today. Um, hi, Susan, how are you?
2: Hi, Tom, Will, thanks, you?
1: Thanks for doing this. This is the first time we've had a sort of a, a guest host. Um, Susan's going to talk us a little bit through the session today. Uh, so, do you want to give us sort of a general um, overview of what we're going to be talking about today?
2: Thanks, Tom. Welcome, everybody. Um, I'm delighted that it's able to run this session tonight so early in the, the school year when teachers are already starting to plan texts. And I think uh, English teachers will also have one eye on the possibility of blended learning that's lurking in the the wings as well. Um, This is the the second um, session related to teaching the Holocaust through English that SAIT has uh, put on. The first was in 2016 in conjunction with the Holocaust Educational Trust. But tonight's session is in no way just a a top up or a a refresher of that event, which I think is testimony to uh, the complexity and importance of the, the subject matter. Um, a very warm welcome and a big thank you to the speakers we have this evening. Um, not only are they well qualified, knowledgeable, but they also uh, understand and have experience of the, the Scottish educational landscape as well. Um, the next hour will go really quickly. Uh, it is recorded as, as all say, uh, sessions are, so you can watch it again. Um, but whether you are used to teaching texts um in the context of the Holocaust or whether this is new to you, there's going to be important takeaways for everybody uh, tonight and I I hope you enjoy the session. Um, English teachers have the luxury and flexibility to be able to choose their texts, uh, particularly for critical essays, uh, but with that uh, opportunity does come responsibility as well. Um, So I'm delighted to welcome uh, Dr Paula Cowan and Professor Henry Maitlis tonight. Paula is Reader in Education at the University of the West of Scotland, and she researches and teaches in Holocaust education and citizenship. Um, She's co-authored Understanding and Teaching Holocaust Education, um, and she has co-edited Holocaust Education in Primary Schools in the 21st Century. She's been a UK delegate to um, IRA since 2009, and she's one of the authors of the recently published IRA Recommendations, for teaching and learning about the Holocaust, uh, and I'm sure that will feature in uh, her presentation. Henry, meanwhile, is Emeritus Professor of Education at UWS, and he researches and teaches in the areas of citizenship, uh, human rights and values, the Holocaust and genocide, and in particular, the impact of citizenship in initiatives in schools. He was a, a member of the Scottish Executive Review Group, which drew up the proposals for Education for Citizenship, um, and he has co-authored or, or authored four books. The, the most recent being Understanding and Teaching the Holocaust, um, which he, Understanding and Teaching Holocaust Education, which he, he wrote with Paula. Um, and he has also, before uh, coming into higher education, he was a, a teacher in secondary schools in Lanarkshire for, for almost 20 years. Um, I'm going to hand over now to uh, Paula, who I think is going to start our session tonight. Um, welcome again, and I hope you enjoy participating.
1: Thanks very much for that, Susan. Um, we are going to hand over to Paula. She's going to be in charge of all the things that we see um, through this session, and I'm going to be in charge of, this, of the keeping it all on the road and um, making sure the technical aspects come along. So um, Paula's gonna, I'm going to add Paula and Henry to the stream um, and get them started. Uh, how are we today, guys?
3: we're
1: good thank you thank you very much thank you looking forward to fantastic. it bring. fantastic and paula if you want to share your powerpoint i'll no, be do. able to add it to the stream um, and we'll get started as uh, susan was saying um there's going to be uh, a limited amount of time to get everything that we need done today um here we go so i'll thank add you. it in and it is over to you guys um, myself and susan will say goodbye for now and we'll see you at the end There'll be some questions um, and time for questions um, once, we've, once you guys have finished the main presentation. Right.
3: Thank you so much for that kind introduction. And um, hello, everybody. It's, it's very strange. This is the first time I've actually done something online that I don't see anybody's face at all. And as a teacher, I'm always telling my students, you must scan the classroom and see your children's reactions as you teach. And this is absolutely at odds with my usual practice. So here goes. Um, Susan, you talked about the luxury that English teachers have. I hope you don't mind if we also have the luxury, Henry and I, because we've tweaked our title slightly. Okay, you had said it was going to be using fiction to teach the Holocaust. We've actually tweaked it. And Henry's going to explain in a minute why we've tweaked it into using Holocaust fiction in the classroom. Um, Thanks for mentioning and giving us a plug for our book. Um, I do hope that people um, will will read our book and will find our book useful because it really is for 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 teachers that, that this book is aimed at uh, it's, it's supposed to be a practitioner 's guide to helping you in the classroom with challenges um, and ideas and suggestions to get it going well and it has received very positive reviews um, both at a European level and indeed from practitioners so please. Do, uh, do go on Amazon and buy us. I'll um, have special hello to anybody here who's from one of our Vision Schools. I don't know if any of you um, have heard of Vision School Scotland. We do have a website. We do have a blog. We were launched in two thousand and seventeen, and we at the University in, in partnership with the Holocaust Educational Trust support teachers in their teaching of the holocaust but we also give an accreditation we give an award to to schools who manage to uh, meet the five criteria of our award um, and so far, we have got, I think it's 12 vision schools at the moment in Scotland, with more being awarded later this year. So please have a look at, uh, at what we've got to offer. Our website also has some good information for you, um, up to date information, particularly useful if you're doing things on Scotland and the Holocaust, because we'd be we, we like to, to give it that, that special focus. Um, and we also do have on our blog a review believe it or not, of Holocaust fictional texts. So, um, yes, please, please do uh, have a look at that and it would be lovely to hear from you again in the future. Um, I also just want to talk a little bit about what's on the the, the website and the blog. Um, all these things are on it. One of the things I, I think that we're all, all very... Um, very sensitive to just now is the need to always develop our own professional development, our own knowledge and skills in teaching, which is, of course, why we're, why you have had webinars such as this today. Um, and we do have short films by our teachers who whose who, who schools have become vision schools, talking about how they've done it. Okay, and some of these teachers are history teachers, some of them are English teachers. Some you know they come from teaching different different curricular areas. We also have a distance learning module which was launched last year uh, or rather piloted last year and, and Susan um, went on it. So you can find out from Susan um, exactly what the how she found it beneficial to, to her professional development and teaching. Um, and, and we run this from September to December. And so it's something to consider maybe for the future. Uh, it's a short module, but again, it's very uh, closely linked to Contemporary issues and to the Scottish teaching context, and and with that, I'm going to pass you over to to Henry, who's going to continue with uh, the presentation.
0: Thank you, thank you, Paula. <coughs> um, good uh, good afternoon, uh, colleagues. It came as a train of shock there when uh, Susan outlined that I'd been in a, um, schools in uh, Lanarkshire for 18 years before I moved into the university sector. Somebody will be saying, surely not. He looks far too young. Um, but I, I I I think not. Um I'm going to talk a little bit about the importance of a Holocaust education um before we look at the particular texts um, that there are that there are around it. Um I I come to this as I say from with 18 years or so of experience in a secondary school and then twenty years, over twenty years in the um in the university sector, but one of the things I remember most closely um, uh, from my school days, if you like, working as a, a history teacher, is very strong collaboration I had with my English colleague in the school that I was in. Uh, I spoke to him, so he doesn't mind me uh, mentioning his, his name. He was um, uh, called Mel Lynch. Some of you may know him as a teacher of English. He later went on to become a to become a head teacher. But interestingly, was for years. We were very close. He knew I taught the Holocaust. I knew he used the diary of Anne Frank. But the truth is is that we never collaborated in anything until the year before I left to go to the the university. And it was a huge um, uh, sign of weakness to me of what had happened in those intervening nine years. But like all good teachers, I think, I learn as much, at least as much from my... Um, mistakes, as you do from your from your good practice, and it's something that I I learned about and have um, more than rectified and argued for in the, in the intervening uh, years at the university. All in myself, I think one of our main contribution has been to argue, which of course seems to us seems to us and to you, I'm certain, like common sense a good sense, that lessons on the Holocaust need to be about the Holocaust, and from the Holocaust, that we need to understand the context in which the Holocaust developed, but we also need to take seriously the language of never again that came out of the Holocaust, which means that we don't just learn um, about the Holocaust, we learn we learn from it, so that it um, should never... Um, or as infrequently as possible be repeated, we can't say it never has been repeated because there have been genocides since, since then now it seems that this is common sense and makes sense to us but in England of course where the Holocaust is taught as part of the national curriculum and equivalent, our equivalent of S2 um, many teachers were finding that their lessons and the research were finding that their lessons were about the Holocaust, not from the Holocaust and even the lessons about the holocaust were done incredibly quickly in history just in history and um weren't weren't done weren't done um well so one of our things has been to argue that it needs to be um uh, about and from next slide Paul, please sure the uh, ihra recommendations of 2019 the international holocaust remembrance alliance which was an and an intergovernmental body, really, I think, of delegates from uh, most, uh, many countries, not most countries, but many countries um, around the world um, have published um, a, a guide called Teaching and Learning um, about um, the Holocaust. And one of the things that they found in their research were, were, these, were these three points. Firstly, that these were for, for um Students um often in countries where there was mandatory teaching of the holocaust, there were significant gaps in the young people's learning about the about the holocaust um Secondly, there were widespread myths and misconceptions um, ab- 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 um about the holocaust and finally there was a tendency to avoid um, the difficult questions from the national histories of those countries which had been invaded by the Nazis and for whom their populations had been, Jewish populations had been, had been um, removed. Um, can we move on, Paula, please? What has led us, this research, I'm going to go and, and look at some, a little bit more of it than semitism What the, the, the research has has suggested to Paula and myself is that lessons about and from aren't really what was going on. What we really need to deal with the gaps that the research has shown us about the Holocaust are lessons on on the Holocaust. This would be lessons primarily from the History Department, lessons on the events that led to the Holocaust and lessons about the Holocaust would be done by other subjects in the school and. Forms of interdisciplinary lesson lessons, where it's much better. Where they've done it the best, but in our departments, where as I said, I did it with uh, my colleague, Mel who did um, the Diary of Anne Frank. As I learned, uh, did the lessons on the on the Holocaust, um, and that the responsibility of the school as a whole, that to all the subjects in the in the school who are involved in it, would be the lessons from the Holocaust. What do we glean about what has happened since then that we should learn and try and, and try and avoid um, one of the reasons for this next slide Paula, one of the reasons for this is that the research has suggested and most of this research was done with um, was done with english uh, youngsters um and the youngsters or some of the english population but the youngsters in the population many of them would have been, uh, would have grown up, if you like, having done the Holocaust um, uh, throughout the national curriculum. And what they found was that half of adults aged 18 to 24, that is half of the cohort that they investigated, about 2,000 people in this piece of research, only half of them could um uh, had any concept of what anti Semitism was after learning about the Holocaust. Only half of them, um, of eighteen to twenty-four. As you went, funnily enough, as you went up the older age group, um, uh, you know, um, a small, a larger, a slightly larger number knew something about it. So the biggest group of people who didn't know anything about anti-Semitism had been a group of people who had been through Holocaust learning in the schools. Right. So there's something I think a little bit worrying, worrying there, particularly as right in the summer that we've gone through, and even in lockdown, there have been a whole number of conspiracy theories that have come out and been developed, and issues that have come out around um, anti-Semitism. In case you don't know who this is, this is George Soros, the um, Hungarian-born philanthropist and millionaire who has formed um, a foundation called Foundation for the open open society, in which he funds, um, amongst other things, support for migrants and refugees um, who land in, in some countries. He has been vilified in the most anti-Semitic terms by um, the far right across the world, from Hungary to uh, the United States, calling him um, uh, a part. Of a Jewish-led conspiracy to subvert the Western races by uh, foreign, um, or in this case, or in most cases, foreign immigration. In 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 Charlottesville, in America, two years ago, where the, there was a terrible anti-Jewish um, riots um, and the death of an anti-fascist protester, um, uh, that one of their chants was. Was the Jews will not replace us? Now they weren't meaning that the Jews were going to outbreed them. What they meant was a Jewish conspiracy of bringing in people. It's a it's an an, an old conspiracy and one that has come up again in many in many countries this summer. In not just by the far right, but in the case of uh, Hungary, by sections of the of the governing uh, uh, coalition. So it's particularly worrying. Well, I can move on. In Britain, um, you recognise the two people: the, the, the previous and present, uh, the prior and present leader of the of the Labour Party, Corbyn and uh, Keir Keir Starmer. There has been a court case where Keir Starmer has apologised to TV producers, to Labour Jewish Labour Party members, um, and indeed, I suppose, to the, the public as a whole. For manifestations of anti-Semitism inside the in, inside the Labour Party, ongoing ongoing um, uh, issue um, within the main uh, opposition party in uh, Britain, and finally, the case of uh, Wiley. I don't know if you recognise. So this is this is Wiley, the the rapper, who has been banned from uh, most social media platforms. Um, and there is a court case um, about to happen following tweets where he talked about gassing, where he talked about um, he, he used derogatory terms to um, symbolise uh, a jury, um, and um, he was uh, widely and rightly condemned by whole by whole sections of the of the uh, of the of the community so anti-Semitism online and and I would imagine in some of the everyday practice of our of our charges and our students can be a can be a a, a, a real can be a a, a a real real thing, even although in most cases Jews because they're not uh, indistinguishable from other sections of the population um uh, can go about their 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 life um, in ways but we should also remember that in large sections of the world Jews can be both um of uh, Arab um, appearance and indeed in the case of some African Jews like example in Ethiopia will be black Jews so so racism um, uh, can be can be even although... Most Jews in, in this country come from um, a different uh, a, a, a different background. There can be Jews of background who look look identical to black people and uh, Arab Arab people, and therefore uh, can suffer um, uh, very heavily from from institutional racism in certain places um, as as well. Right, we Paula, can move on. So we are where we are what can what can teachers do unesco and, and the education um a, a grouping in europe argue that one of the things we we, we must do is incorporate antisemitism into our learning about the, the the holocaust and and address issues relating to holocaust denial and distortion and unesco um, and um, I have argued as well that, um, that we need to make sure that anti-Semitism becomes a human right issue that is integrated into our understanding of, of, of citizenship. If it's not, then the young people don't understand what anti-Semitism is and then find it very difficult to follow debates on the television or anywhere which will use anti-Semitism as a, as a as a text, hey, Paula. Our research um, uh, argued, following on from our, our research, we said there was there was things that teachers uh, needed needed to do. Um, you can see the three points points there. Um, but I think the key point we need to understand is that anti semitism is central to Nazi ideology, not just Nazi ideology in, G- in Germany. But far right and racist ideology throughout, throughout the world and is still central to it. When I was at a conference in Budapest once, for example, there were big posters up on behalf of a party that was getting many votes called the Jobbik Party of the extreme right, if you want to differentiate it from the far right, the extreme right. Their, their posters went, um, um throw out the Roma, uh, and then we deal with their backers, the Jews, and that was Soros, of course, that they were referring to. But the idea of old Jews and, and for the the anti-Semitism there was being linked to anti-Roma, anti-Roma uh, hatred. The second point is we need to understand that the racism that that this ideology is based on is modern uh, uh, anti is a modern. Racism that developed out of the slave trade, if you like, it's a racism of blood. It's not primarily um, religion. It's not that. It's not that Jews are a different religion and can therefore convert and become uh, proper uh, members of society. The understanding is that Jews are an alien blood form that really needs to be um, eliminated, or at the very least, um, I- isolated. So it's important that we, that we understand that. The final point, which came from Ira recommendations, the book I mentioned there, is to understand that Holocaust denial, that, that people, I suppose, like David Irving was the most famous, um, uh, but other on the web is full of Holocaust denial, that the gas chambers didn't happen, that the photographs were fabricated, um, and, 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 and so on. Um, uh, Paula, can you move on? Sure, sure. Um, and we're moving on to the professional responsibility of, of yourselves. Um, most, many of you on the, on this webinar will be, uh, will be, uh, English, English, English teachers. And we think there are a number of responsibilities that, that you have now. is going to deal with this in uh, much more detail in a minute, in a minute or two. But these are some of the points that you, I think, need to reflect on as you start using your um, your your fictional your fictional uh, uh, texts, um, and they become, I think, um, important, uh, particularly important, um, because it will be primarily you that will be using um, the Holocaust fictional fictional um, fictional texts. So, my final couple of points, uh, can we move on Paula? My final couple of points is to look at, I used the issue of Holocaust denial and 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 distortion. Now uh, Deborah Libstadt um, uh, one of the most he's written a book called uh, Holocaust Denial, the famous book on Holocaust Denial and who was sued I think by David Irving in the court who claimed that she had um, uh, slandered him and libelled him. Um, the court found that she hadn't, but the Holocaust, of course, has is being what was the best documented um, uh, genocide in the in, in 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 the world. There were tens of thousands of survivors of the various camps. There were six million or so killed, but there were tens, hundreds of thousands of uh, survivors who lived in the forest or survived the camps, or escaped to other, managed to escape, or or, or whatever. If the Holocaust deniers are right, and this is all a complete and total conspiracy and a fabrication by by the West or by Jewish leaders, um, then a whole host of people um, would have to be wrong. Not just the survivors, not just people like, some of you will be familiar with Primo Levi's work, not just the Italian uh, Holocaust survivor Primo Levi; um, he would have to be a fabricator um, if his if his works are are wrong. He would have to have made it made it up. He would have to have been lying. But other lots of other people would be wrong wrong um, as well. Um, Paula, can we move on? Other people who would be wrong would be um, the bystanders, for example, those non-Jews who watched and recorded. As their Jewish neighbours would be marched away. Um, you know, th- this is not to be overly critical of them, because the Nazis were very clever and destroyed the community organisations that would have led opposition to this. Uh, the first victims of the Nazis, of course, were the community leaders, the socialists, um, the religious leaders, and then they came for the, um, then they came for the 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 Jews after these people were already in prison camps. So the bystanders, the people who watch Jews get taken away, they would also have to be wrong. The historians who have written, the wonderful historian well, well, that, well the present company accepted, the wonderful historians who have written about the Holocaust uh, would also have to be wrong. Their source primary sources um would also have to be wrong. And of course who else would have to be wrong the, the nazis many of whom actually admitted their guilt in trials after the after the af, after the war the camp guards um they would all have to be wrong as well now it's important that we challenge holocaust denial um and distortion because if we if we if we if we don't do it these are areas that can grow because the survivors are dying out the, the the numbers of survivors that there are of the Holocaust, of course, people who were there between nineteen forty two nineteen or nineteen forty one and nineteen forty five, are of course dying out. The key age for surviving the camps was to be about eighteen or between eighteen and twenty four, Um they are dying out now uh, as are other other um, other as are other survivors. So the, the argument is going to come down to the people who record the, these kind of things, and it's important that we challenge it. And the final point I want to make is that um, when it comes to Holocaust denial and distortion, one of the key things that IRA have argued that we need to make sure is that countries don't deny their own responsibility in the events in the events that took place. Took place. I've got this picture up because Poland have at one and the same time opened a marvellous new Museum of Jewish History in Warsaw, the government, and at the same time have are, are looking to pass a law which denies any Polish um, involvement in the, in the Holocaust. Now, the truth is that the Nazis couldn't, um, have run and 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 transported millions of of Jews without there being some level of involvement. Some of it quite minor compromises to survive. In other cases, collaboration collaboration with the Nazis to ensure that pe- people people were taken away. And although there is a big campaign to stop uh, Poland uh, passing the law. One of the things that you notice if you go to the museum is they always talk about the German Nazis rounding up the rounding up the Jews, whereas in many cases it would be the Polish uh, police that were rounding up the rounding up the Jews. And similar to what, of course, went on in British France, similar to what went on in the Ukraine, in, in in the Ukraine, similar to what went on in Hungary, and so on. And we mustn't. Ignore that responsibility, because if we do, then um, it, it distorts our understanding and learning of the Holocaust. And particularly when it comes to fiction, I think that we need to make sure that these things are well are well thought through. So I'm now going to pass on to Paula, who's going to look specifically um, uh, for the next uh, half hour or so at Holocaust uh, resources.
3: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Henry. I think actually this might be a nice time, Tom, um, if we can just um, have a little bit of a pause before I start the next section and just ask uh, people a question. But I'd like to ask you a question. I'd like to put the answers um, at the side there with the chat. But I do not want you to Google the answer. I would like to, I would like you just to give me your gut answer, what you think the answer is, okay? So I'm going to ask a question, and Tom's going to put up five possible answers, okay? So please just 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 play along with me, because it would be nice to come back to this at the end of the webinar. So my question is: Which country in Europe today has the largest Jewish population? And Tom, if you would like to, uh, can you can you show us the five possible answers? Now there. Oh, I can't see them. That's fine. That's good. OK, so I'm just going to continue and and just you've got to note that and just keep writing and chatting away. But no Googling. All right. Okay, So I'm going to look now at looking at research in, uh, in children's fiction um, in this particular area. And, and I'm sure it's going to be no surprise to you. It shouldn't be any surprise to you to know that there are many benefits. To using the children's fiction in teaching history full stop and and, and and by default that should apply to the holocaust and here we've got a couple of reasons here we've got readability and accessibility developing empathy um as i would say here the teo's research talks about it could be used Um, successfully for reluctant learners. It can also be, we know from feedback um, that it's also teachers of pupils with with special additional needs. also report that using fiction is a good way of getting children, not just to engage in reading and engage in history, but also to actually enjoy their reading, which is what we want to um, and we know too that it does help ch- uh, young people's understanding of the past, and, and and other advantages would be that it supports learners, as Henry talked about at the beginning, about the language of racism, the never again, um, as well as facilitating um, uh, interdisciplinary learning opportunities. So we know that there are benefits. Now, when I started teaching um, the Holocaust, I was involved in Holocaust education. I was a primary teacher. Um, Oh Gosh, I have to even say it's the last century, which is horrid, but (laughs) it it was last century. We were, I I welcomed, and when I say we, I'm talking about other people who were involved in Holocaust education at that time. We welcomed fictional texts on the Holocaust um, in the classroom because we thought, wow, teaching the Holocaust is so marginal just now. This is a real way, a really good way of making it become more mainstream. Now, I think we're living in a different, a different time now, um, thankfully, you may say, um, where there's been a lot of transformation in Holocaust education. One of these has been the introduction of Holocaust Memorial Day. Another has been the Lessons from Auschwitz program, both of which I think have contributed to making Holocaust education more mainstream. So today, I guess I don't have quite the same feeling about fiction. Um, and I think that the question I want you to consider just now is, is this the same today? Are we welcoming it automatically? Should it be the case today? And of course, Teo has also got a couple of little concerns there, or maybe major concerns there, One of the two of which we're going to talk about, we're going to discuss uh, further. One is about undermining historicity of the Holocaust and contributing to what Henry's just talked about, Denial, and of course you could add, and distortion of the Holocaust, and also causing genre confusion and at worst result in the presentation of distorting the facts, the condition, that historical condition. And going back to the IRA recommendations, they do write about this. They do include a, um, a, a, a paragraph or a, a, some text about, about the value of fictional genre in this particular, specifically in Holocaust education, whether you're teaching about the Holocaust or teaching the Holocaust or teaching from the Holocaust. They say fictional genre, poems, films, novels about the Holocaust can never replace a thorough study of the historical events, but they can offer a personal approach. They can offer specific insights into the nature and consequences of the crime. Fictional resources should respect the specific events, facts and conditions of the Holocaust. And here comes the responsibility word, which I think Susan mentioned at the beginning, and I think Henry also mentioned it. It's educators' responsibility to prevent misinformation about the Holocaust. So you can see where this is kind of linking for your responsibility. Let's look at the first point about the complexity of the fictional genre that I mentioned in the previous slide. You may know these three books, okay, you may not. The first one, Pennies for Hitler, as as the cover suggests, is a young person's book. It won a prize, it was the winner of the New South Wales Premier's Young People's Prize in 2013. This book, in case you don't know it, tells the story of the Battle of Britain and experiences of a Jewish refugee. And and as as you can see, it's for for younger readers. Okay, let's look at the second book, which I suspect you can't all nod because I can't see you nodding, but I suspect you're familiar with it. The graphic novel Mouse by Art Spiegelman. This book won the Pulitzer Prize in 1990 too. It didn't win a Pulitzer Prize for fiction or non-fiction because they didn't know which genre to put it in. And you know, and you can see why they don't know which genre to put it in because the mice don't talk and don't behave like that and that's not, that's not the case it's not reality. But of course the actual uh, chronology and the condition of the events that's described in the book um, was um, very much um, the experiences of Art Spiegelman's father during the Holocaust. Uh, then we come to the third one, Emil and Karl, a novel by Jan Kev Glashstein. You may not have heard of this book before. Um, it hasn't won awards, at least not, not that I know of. Um, it was, but but, but, it, but it, and it tells the story. You might be able to sort of sort of kind of get an idea from the allude from the the cover of. Um, so check this for originality. Two boys who live in Germany at this time. One is a German Jewish boy. The other is a German. Um, Non-Jewish things, a Christian boy um, that might remind you of something, and it's and it's about the friendship they have because they have to um, basically deal with some terrible events on their own as their parents are well, have been taken away from them um, during the build-up to what to what's become known as the Holocaust. Um, the interesting thing about this book, though, is that it was written in 1940, and it was written in Yiddish. Um, and as you can see from the cover, it's also for young readers. So Glashstein wrote this book, and it is, I would say it's a fairly dark book. It's quite a terrifying book. Um, but he wrote this book not knowing anything about the, fi- the final solution and indeed what was going to become the fate of young children like, Emil, like the real Emil and Carls. So, so, it, so I, just, I just show you that to, to show the, the complexity of genres um, in, 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 fi- in Holocaust fiction. Um, it's going to be no surprise to you to know where we're going next. Um, we're going to look at, at, at the boy in the striped pyjamas. And, and I've shown the two covers because they kind of show the, I don't know if you want to call it the progression um, or, or, or the change in this book. And that it was first, when it came out, first of all, I think in 2006, it was primarily for for adults, for young adults, I would say, for young adults or adults, but it changed and it then became a book for young, very much for young people. And you can see the difference in the covers. Uh, And of course, I think the film probably led to to it becoming um, more um, thought of, I'm not gonna say more appropriate, but it was thought of as being being, um, suitable for young people to, um, and I say young people, I mean primary aged pupils. Um, And this book has won loads of awards. I mean, I can't go over the list of awards that this book has won or we'd need another webinar. But it certainly won the Irish Book Award, the People's Choice Book of the Year, the Bisto Children's Book of the Year, Best International Novel of the Year in Spain, and it's been in the New York Bestseller. Um, When Henry and I did a small piece of research in uh, about 2013 uh, in in Glasgow, actually, um, we found that this was the book that most that was the most popular book that primary and secondary teachers used to teach the Holocaust. When we had done, when we had asked teachers the same thing ten years prior to this. The most uh, common book had been the Diary of Anne Frank. This had replaced it. Um, more, if you want to think, well, that was only a small case study, and the centre of Holocaust education at UCL in 2016, that a very large study on Holocaust education and and students' attitudes um, and what they were learning about the Holocaust. And their cohort was just less than 8,000 students, secondary students in England. And their findings were that this book was the most read book and the most watched film about the Holocaust. So, so I think that kind of puts it in, in perspective now i don't want to be I don't want you to think for a minute that, that the rest of this this webinar is going to be how I hate this book and how I hate John Boyne. I love John think he's a fantastic author okay I would recommend many of his books, especially the ones about Ireland like the Hearts Invisible Furies, they are fantastic reads. what we're arguing here is we're talking about responsibility we're talking about distortion of the Holocaust we're talking about contemporary anti-Semitism, and we're looking at, you know, how this fits in with these kinds of issues today for teachers who are teaching English. Okay, so Lydia Kukola um, says that all representation, and the emphasis being the end of that number one there that says artistic reasons included, all representations of the Holocaust shall be accurate and faithful to the facts and conditions of the event. And so this is kind of, I feel like, some kind of guideline of ethics to kind of consider. And then and then um, in the book also talks about that it should be approached as a solemn and even sacred with a seriousness, admitting no response that might obscure its enormity or dishonour its dead. And I think dishonour its dead, we're going to sort of return to that later. Um, the other two points I'll let you consider on, on on your own because I don't think that they're they're too important here. What I will say is that Coca-Cola does say, and I think this is important for the Boy in the Striped Pyjamas and other texts that may you know follow from them, may, may be coming out next, is that texts can be politically correct but historically inaccurate, and they can either spare the child to such an extent they are misleading. And I think that these are the kind of um, points that I think we need to think about um, as we as, as we continue our thinking now I've, I've, I've got some research findings here, and, and Tom's told me that I'm to read them out in case you can't see them all okay but these um findings are from researchers who are either practitioners that is they're either teachers okay. Teachers of in in schools and college and teacher education, um, um, with the exception, Oh, actually says is is a, is it was a lecturer, but he is a historian amongst amongst that group actually, and Carson Phillips, um the top right, he's um, from the museum education sector. So let's just look at the, what, what they're saying. Richard Pearce, I think this uh, this can be linked with what Coca-Cola said and and what I've just said about Coca-Cola, about it uh, sparing the child to such an extent they're misleading because Rich and and say, um, say that the film's message is that just by as soon as you get to know one another people are going to like each other and uh, the world's going to be a warmer cuddlier lovelier place and there's going to be no atrocities no genocides and we know that clearly unfortunately isn't true and in, this, in the case of the Holocaust with the Nazi ideology and well I'm not going to go into the whole history of it all but, but you know that just wasn't going to be the case it would never have been the case. Um, So it's very misleading in that that sense. Um, Michael is a history teacher and and he did research with his secondary pupils with just less than 300 pupils and he found, not because of his teaching I may add, he found the majority of his pupils believed this story was based on a true story. So his job was to sort that out and to un- let the students unlearn things. Uh, the late historian, David Cesarani, is scathing of the book. Um, he, he cites loads and loads of examples of the distortions of history, and he just doesn't want it in the classroom at all. He thinks it just, just causes a lot of damage. And in fact, Michael Gray has said it is the curse of Holocaust education. Um, Carson Phillips from Canada says it does not encourage critical thought or any understanding of the events or magnitude of the Holocaust. And that you can relate that back to, 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 um, to, to what we're talking about, about being truthful to the events. And he's saying it's, it's falling short, <coughs> it, falling short. If we said that using fiction was going to develop criticality, then it's not. It might be a criticality of a character, but it's not. It's not. It's doing harm. For the historical aspect of the historicity of the Holocaust, what we say, what Henry and I say, is we don't like it, um, especially if, um, for for teaching it to young people as their first lessons of, of the Holocaust. We don't like that the book for that, but we also don't like it because we said at the beginning one of the benefits of using fiction was developing empathy, and we. We think this book is really bad, in a sense, for developing empathy for the wrong people, quite simply. Because if if this is a young person's first experience of the Holocaust, at the end of the book, one feels sorry for Bruno and Bruno's parents. Why? Because Bruno shouldn't have been in the camp. Shmuel should have been in the camp, and that's okay, but not Bruno. So we think that's wrong and unethical. And it's not telling of the nature and condition of the Holocaust, where clear lines, uh, clear understanding of who the perpetrators were and who the victims really are. The principal victims of the Holocaust were the Jews. And I don't think this book develops empathy um, for the Jews um, at all. Now, you might think, hold on, that they're just history teachers or teacher education. What about people who work in teaching English? And that's where I'm coming to next. Ruth Gilbert um, says Boyne's text raises issues about the exploitation of history for the sake of the story. It's not just that it's factually flawed. It's fundamentally dishonest. 13 to 14 year olds might come away from their reading less informed and less genuinely engaged than when they started. And I, I, I know I can't hear you, but I suspect some of you are saying, well, they're always engaged in the book because it's a great book. You might not agree with that part of it, but certainly the less informed part, I think, is important. Um, R- Richard, uh, Robert Eagleston says, it turns the Holocaust into a childish fable. This is on Boyne's own admission. He said it was a fable and makes Auschwitz as unreal as Camelot or Hogwarts school. To pretend this, the extermination of children on arrival at Auschwitz, is not so is to misunderstand and misrepresent the nature of the genocidal operation, both in terms of its aim and in terms of its utterly ruthless execution. And in fact, um, also, um, um, I was going to say, the Mike, Michael Gray also says that by, by, by calling it a fable, what you're doing is you're actually closing the doors on any real discussion, any real criticality of the issues. Then we go to the last one, Majaro, which says she says that Judaism as a religion is not mentioned at all, even when Gretel is trying to define Jews Um and in fact, Richard and Piercy um, also discuss the book's absence of anti-Semitism and of Judaism. Maybe this is the author's ideology. I don't know. They say that Shmuel's Jewish identity is hardly hinted at. And it's difficult to believe that Bruno has no knowledge of Jews or Judaism. It's far more likely... He was a member of of Hitler Youth, and and, and 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 the idea here is that it's that you know seeing seeing Jews only in the, in the Holocaust context isn't right, and you should be explaining it more, etc., etc. Um, and it's put and it can be an example of de-Judaization that that is taking the Jewishness out of of the history of the Holocaust. So they they are really quite quite scathing, um, you know, issues there. They're difficult issues to handle. There's some that you might not at all agree with but I do want you to consider your responsibility here Um, because you know as as teachers of citizenship you you know there isn't a citizenship teacher you're you're also part of that that's your part of the responsibility too so I guess and what we're going to do next is just look at what Ira say about the book too because I think that's important because they've got it in their recommendations what they say is that the book and the film are not faithful to the historical facts, and they create false impressions of victims, perpetrators, and key sites, key sites being Auschwitz. Learners with little or no knowledge of the Holocaust are likely to acquire misinformation about the Holocaust that may never be challenged, much less unlearned. So I think that we've got to think about that in in our teaching context here, because we don't have, Holocaust is not mandatory in, in Scotland. So in some schools you may be the only people who are who are teaching whether it's about the Holocaust or the Holocaust, you know. You are using the Holocaust and children are getting some understanding from the Holocaust, from the, the tools that you're you're teaching with, from the fiction you're teaching with. So you so if, if if it's not being done right and if the children are being misinformed, it's quite feasible, isn't it, that they can go through the whole of their secondary without it being challenged or unlearned because they are not automatically going to be learning about it in history or in modern studies or elsewhere in, in, in the curriculum in Scotland. Okay, so what are the implications then? Um, well I think I think we, we're saying avoid, <laughs> quite simply <laughs> we're going to say avoid using it. Um, especially when you're teaching it for the teaching the Holocaust for the first time and you don't think that the children know anything about the Holocaust. Um, But we are saying, I suppose, explore Holocaust fiction. There is loads of good quality Holocaust fiction out there. And I'm delighted to say there's even more coming out every year. Even last year, there was more coming out. Um, Certainly, the Holocaust Educational Trust have got a a guide, online have got guidelines for teaching the Holocaust for teachers of English. So that's worth looking at. They also discuss this, the the boy in the striped pyjamas. I would say that. They say very similar things to, to what I have just said. Um, uh, but they also give more um, more of a range of Holocaust fiction that's out there. They, they, they provide that. Certainly, for those who don't know, there's a, there's Michael Morpurgo's books, The Mozart Art Question, which is a picture book, as well as Waiting for Anya. There's um, the Morris Gleitzman books. Uh, there's a whole series of these books. There's also last year, um, there was R.G. Palacio came out with... Um, White Bird, which is another graphic novel, which has also received very, very good reviews so far. So there's loads of Holocaust fiction out there that will not render it being meaningless and will not be distorting or being, providing misinformation to your, to, to your students. If you want to use it, use it. But it's it's, got, it's a lot of work. If you're going to take your responsibility of teaching citizenship seriously, it's a lot of work for you to do. Um, and really, I, I, don't, I really want to emphasise that. So if you must use the novel, you simply must, because you just love it and you've got loads in the heart in the school and you're not going to remove them from the school because you'll get told off. Um, find out what the children know about the Holocaust, first of all. Ensure, ensure pupils have previously engaged in the Holocaust. Do take some responsibility to address the historical inaccuracies And consider or or introduce, you know, new non-fictional resources that can be used along, sorry, I've got a typo there, that can be used alongside the novel to teach the nature, the conditions, the facts, the reality of the Holocaust and address the faults of a novel or any fictional text. Um, there might be a use for it. Maybe you want to use it for assessment. I know that one teacher came up to me and said they, they used and striped pyjamas for senior pupils at the end of their Holocaust learning. They made an activity up using some extracts and it was assessing their learning of the Holocaust. So maybe there is a use for the book elsewhere. Um, okay, similarly, if Holocaust in using Holocaust fiction to teach the Holocaust, um, well, I think this, this is similar to what to what I've already said, really, in finding out what they've what your pupils have already know about the Holocaust, but being um, professional to amend your lesson plans to suit this, so you're not being directed by a fictional text, you're being directed by by prior knowledge of the, of your pupils. I've talked about the inaccuracies. I've talked about the other resources, I just want to emphasize it again because I think that probably you know all fictional texts will have some shortcomings, and I think that it's, it's a difficult thing I'm asking of you to do, but I think it's something that you should be considering. Um, and consider how you can develop your teaching program with your colleagues who are teaching history or modern studies, and so how you can develop your teaching of Holocaust in an interdisciplinary way so that you're building. Um, on, on the learning of, of the people's learning of the Holocaust and indeed sharing some, some good practice and, and ideas. Now at this point before I go right to the end of my conclusions I want to go back to your answers to my question. Can we do that? Tom what was the answers? I can't see so you're gonna to have to tell me.
1: I'm going to add myself in here and uh, jump into the conversation. So Quite a few people thought it was a sort of a trick question. I, I, <laughs> I don't mean here, um, and uh, and went for E. Actually, Sorry,
3: which one is E? Is that none of e, the
1: above? E was, e was none of the above. Personally, I I would say um, my guess would be would be B, Germany, but only because I'm a contrarian. <laughs> okay,
3: Susan, can I ask you to to just for the fun of it?
1: Susan, so nope. you need to unmute here.
3: I'm, I'm going with the E. You're going with none of the above. If you really think we're going to give you a trick question? You're absolutely <laughs> right. I'm going to take that on out of the uh, the next time I do it. No, you just
0: come across as sneaky <laughs> Sorry? You come across as sneaky.
3: <laughs> no, it's not a trick question. I, I, the, the, the reason why I did it was because Henry started off talking about the summer of our discontent, you know, about what's been happening in, in Britain this this year, and it struck me that, that some countries will be looking at us um, and not and know that we're responsible for the forty two year old rapper Wiley who who writes what he does and, and tweets what he does, but the, but you know they the, the, the can be looking at us and saying, um, and I have been at European. Um, meetings, not obviously recently, but I have been at European conferences where all they hear about is what's happening in the Labour Party, and they hear about an anti-Semitic this and anti-Semitic that, and they think that, you know, they've got this idea that the UK is a very anti-Semitic country. Um, And so I just wanted to sort of do this because other countries are thinking that of us just now, and I think that we probably have some ideas um, of other countries too, but in actual fact, it wasn't a trick question. Um, I, let, let me tell you that France is the country today that has got the largest Jewish community. Its, it's community ranges uh, between 600,000 and 800,000, which is, actually represents just less than 0.1 of the entire French population. And that's very similar to the percentage of German Jews who were in Germany during the, uh, just before the Holocaust, the 1930s. It's also very similar to... The Jewish population today in this world, when we talk about conspiracy theories, we are less than 0.1, or one percent. That, That—that is it. How can Jews be responsible for everything? They can't. We're talking about a very small number. In France, um, these Jews, um, as, uh, as 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 uh, Henry mentioned, they do comprise of white-skinned, light-skinned Jews like Henry and myself. They do comprise of brown-skinned. Mizrahi Jews who come from North Africa, and also the Middle East. Their families may have been um, expelled from Iran and Iraq um, in decades ago. Um, there, there may be some, some some black Ethiopian African Jews, might be black-skinned Jews there, but probably less so. Um, but... but um, The point I want to make here is that one of the issues about addressing antisemitism, which just just to conclude any section a little bit, while I conclude this, um, is that one of the, the one of the challenges is that Jews are I think still seen today as being white privilege, and I think certainly in this country they're regarded as white privilege, and yet institutional racism is is something that Jewish people. Even today's Jewish people have experienced. For example, I may share with you, I grew up in the south side of Glasgow. I lived in uh, Newlands, in the Hill Park part of Newlands. And I could see from my bedroom window a private tennis club. I played tennis when I was young. I was not allowed to play at that tennis club or be a member of that tennis club. So it's not always about other other countries, you know. It is about us. We're used to it, and, and and I think that when we're when we're thinking of this on, in, in the context, we, we've got to you know look inside and go and, and spread and go outside rather than look from the outside and come in, um, because sometimes it's easy to say it's about other people, and and when it's not. It's about us. Okay, so let's have a look just to 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 conclude everything. Um, and, and I do just want to say that, that, that uh, Wiley, um, with his rants over this, this, this year, this summer, which, was, which were awful, just bear in mind, when we're talking about conspiracy theories, that the number of followers and supporters that Wiley has far exceeds the number of Jewish people in the United Kingdom today. So you know, Jewish people are very upset about this, let me tell you, and very worried, um, and young people especially, because it's part of social media culture. So it is a real issue. OK, so I'm just going to conclude with the ideas that I've talked about with fiction, bringing it all together. We've talked that fiction can be beneficial and it can be I think, can be harmful in developing a young person's understanding of the Holocaust. I don't know if there are any history teachers out there who are listening to me just now, but if you're teachers of history you'll know that it's very hard to teach something that's that's been learned the wrong way. To unlearn something is far more difficult than to teach something from, from, from scratch. Um, there is an extensive range of t- texts and films in the Holocaust out there. Please go and seek and you shall find. OK, and please, I'm, I'm interested if you want to put some reviews on the Vision School blog, please just email me because I'd be delighted to, to, to do that. Um, but I do understand that it doesn't present a huge challenge to you as teachers of English. I'm absolutely sure about that. And I think it's going to present a bigger challenge. It's the boy in the striped pyjamas today. I don't know what it will be tomorrow. And it is your responsibility to make sure that you are enhancing people's understanding of the Holocaust, even though you may not be teaching the Holocaust as such. But you're you're not to be obscuring, obfuscating or distorting the Holocaust, because believe me, you don't have to go very far on the Internet or social media to see that. Let's try and do better. Thank you very much.
1: So thank you so much for that. That was a fantastic and, and, and provocative um, uh, presentation. I know that some people in the comments are, I wouldn't say angry, but, you know, very very slightly sad about this. And I can, I can think especially of some practical concerns in my own department about the book budget, you know, and the book cupboard. <laughs> um, I think sometimes that's people's biggest concern, isn't it? You know, um, can we keep teaching this? What are we going to do about buying some other ones? But obviously, as you pointed out, there's a responsibility among teachers to to be teaching what's appropriate and what makes sense. Um, we're gonna have a question and answer session here. So um, if you're in the comments, please um, leave, leave some questions and we'll try and get to as many of them as we can uh, before six o'clock. We'll probably finish before six o'clock if we can. Um, so some people are just asking for opinions on things, but I think actually from, from our very own Susan Brownlee, I think this is a good prompt to start off with because I think it gets to the heart of the matter. Um, do you think that the teaching of the Holocaust should be mandatory in Scotland? So you were talking earlier on about the English national curriculum; it's included there. Um, but do you think, you know, given the curriculum we have with curriculum of excellence, should the choice be up to teachers, or, um, or or should it be something that's required to be covered? I don't know about you, Henry. Um, what okay, do you
0: think I'll, about that? I'll I'll start. I'm, I'm not sure that Paul and myself myself will agree on it, but uh, I'll 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 start my my experience of the way the Holocaust is taught primarily mainly taught in Scotland in primary and secondary schools is that it is better than it is done through the national the national curriculum. That's that's the first point. And we've got research evidence I think throughout throughout the time to to back back that back that up. But the national curriculum pigeonholes uh the teaching of the Holocaust into history um and it's got a limited time scale, usually sometimes something between four and six periods in total um to teach the to teach the Holocaust. And the evidence from all the research is that it is, is partly partly because teachers have been forced to do it and partly because of the time they've got not done particularly well. I far prefer volunteers to conscripts. Mm. The problem is of course that Whilst we don't have a national curriculum in Scotland, clearly, and, and I think I'm not particularly in favour of a national curriculum. I think what we, what I would like from the government is an an encouragement to teach Holocaust education, a strong recommendation that when we're developing citizenship learning and when we're developing um, uh, lessons um, on. Uh, aspects of, of, of human rights or, or any other area that teachers should be using the Holocaust as their, um, example, um, of how to, of, of how to do it. I tend to think that would be the best way forward. We've got a lot of supporters in the Scottish Parliament, uh, cross party around vision schools. Um, and I think that might be the best that we would want. I fear now, to put it into a pigeonhole um, would be that. What would be much better would be to get interdisciplinary learning, as many schools, secondary schools do, and as many t- primary teachers do. In a sense, almost so natural to to um, learn learn about the Holocaust and and, and, gen- and genocide. That's a, that's a personal opinion.
1: And, and Paul, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not trying to start an argument, but you know, no, 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 talking, I'm,
3: I'm kind of, I'm like minded to an extent. Um, certainly, the EIS have they've, they've they've passed their motion that it should be taught at some stage in in the three to eighteen uh, experience of children. Um, I get, um, I do agree with um, Henry's um, point about conscripts because I think that when you've got conscripts, who don't really want to teach it, you can end up with really poor quality Holocaust education. And I have always said, and I will continue to say, I'd rather schools didn't teach the Holocaust at all than teach it badly. Okay, and so I would really, really worry about that. Having said that, (laughs) I talked about the transformation in not just the Holocaust education, but in society. And I do think that with the, as 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 we lose our survivors, and as we are more and more reliant on this virtual world we're all living in just now, um, and with the rise of, di- of of distortion, and it's coming out in all different um, uh, manifestations of distortion of the Holocaust, mm. I wonder whether we should um, schools should be buying in into the EIS motion. I think is what I'm saying, and, and getting some encouragement from the government to do that.
1: That's that's really interesting. Um, just just to backtrack to, to Boy in the Striped Pajamas, because I know it's the one that, that, that people um, will have the biggest issues with, but also uh, it'll be a thing that maybe people have taught in the past and they, they're worrying that, you know, what have I done to, to young people here? There's a question here from, from English from Miss Grants who says, um, if Boy in the Striped Pajamas is used to challenge representations of the Holocaust in literature and to develop critical literacy, do you think that is appropriate? And I'm trying to get a, a way in for Susan here. I was thinking, well, what if I created a sort of advanced, higher Holocaust literature unit and one of the texts there was Boy in the Striped Pajamas and you were talking about, you know, critical approaches, historicist approaches to, to teaching these texts and, and, and what's reality and what's truth in these things. Maybe that would be appropriate. I get the sense that you guys are saying, you know, especially lower down the school, you just don't have the time or the criticality. I mean, is that, is that fair enough? I, yeah, I,
3: well, as far as I'm concerned, it's about knowledge. It's about pupil knowledge and understanding. Uh, and if you wanted to do some do something quite sophisticated like that, that your participant, your, your teacher just suggested for advanced hire, then I think that's a, that that might be that might have some merit if the children have got good knowledge of the, holoca- the Holocaust and they can use that criticality in, in literature. That's fine, but if they don't have it, yeah, then that, that's where the problem lies.
0: I, I mean. I mean, I, I think I, I think what we tried to do here was suggest that if you haven't been using it and you're looking for something to use lower down the school, and 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 in the primary, the Holocaust is quite widely taught in primary seven as part of the World War Two interdisciplinary topic, and teachers use art and science and music and uh, literature and history and so on to. To deal, to deal with aspects of it. And it's easier for, I think, primary teachers. The, their difficulty is that their kids are younger, but it's easier for them to do that interdisciplinary um, learning, I think. But I I just think we can't get beyond the research that we did. The research that we did suggested that for m- many kids using that book, they have sympathy at the end of the film with the grieving parents who are the camp commandant and his wife at Auschwitz. Right? Now, something which does that, it seems to me is doing is you now who can you can't you can't stop that. Grieving parents are a terrible thing to see. And of course anybody's can have sympathy, even with the camp commandant, commandant of Auschwitz when their when their child dies. But if that's the main thing that people take out of the book, one of the main things that young people take out the book, there is a problem with it that we need to work out somehow to deal with. And in the slide, uh, Polly used uh, one of the slides she used called implication. Said if you must use it, the question is, how do you develop that, that, um, critical, critical literacy, um, to, to deal, to deal with that? I'm not sure you can do it in primary seven well enough. I think you can certainly do it. At uh, advanced higher or at higher, it's not really taught in the higher, or or even possibly in third and fourth year. Um But I'm not sure you can do it in first year of primary seven. Um But that that's an opinion. I
3: mean, what what. what, what? What we have ostensibly is a fabulously written book that is engaging and that teachers like to use they know oh i 'm going to use that because i 'll get a great response from my from my, from, my pupil, from, my, from my pupils with that i 'm not going to have the usual behavioral difficulties or the usual boredom they 're going to love it um, but they 're not think but unfortunately, there are other issues and I have to say. Primary teachers were the same. I know that primary primary, uh, te- primary schools took their children to see the film, thinking, it's about the Holocaust. It'll save me doing such and such or whatever it does. So, and, But yes, I do believe it did damage or it did, in their understanding of the Holocaust, yes. It wasn't thought through right.
1: I think that's really interesting. I, I, I want to get Susan into the conversation, otherwise she's going to feel left out. Oh, as an English teacher as well, like, like me, I, I was listening to this and thinking, actually... You know, as an English teacher, we often choose a book because we want to teach a skill and we're not necessarily thinking yeah. about the actual subject of the book. So the thing that you're saying about Boy in Striped Pyjamas is we want people to learn about empathy and sympathy and point of view. And it's it, it's good for all those reasons. It's just a shame it's about the Holocaust. But yet it leaves people <laughs> thinking that the Holocaust is all about the poor camp commander, as you described. And Do you think, Susan, that that maybe English teachers need to um, be a bit more um, cognizant of, that, of the ethics of choosing books. Um, I, I, I like that quote that you said earlier on, that the problem is the exploitation of history for the sake of a story. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's kind of what happens a lot. And I'm actually thinking about things that we teach all the time, like War Horse or um, Saving Private Ryan, which which kind of imply that you know, war is often a great adventure. Never mind how gritty the imagery is, often kids come away with the idea that war is this great adventure and there was a point to it in, in some sense. Do you think that's a, that's a big challenge for us as English teachers to not only teach the literary techniques in a piece of work, but actually do some sort of honour to the, the subject material behind it?
2: I think it is um, a real struggle. Uh, when you think about when we choose texts, you're going with what's in your store cupboard, you're going with what um you want to teach because it's a, a favourite or uh you know you, you need to, to lighten the, the load in some way this year so you'll teach something you've already taught several times. Um but you're up against other people in your department. So you have we have to put first and second choices in when we're picking text, so you won't automatically get what you, you you want. Um I think what I'm backtracking a bit, but what Henry said about primary schools. So we've often found that primary pupils will come up to secondary. uh, And when we did use Boy in the Striped Pajamas, the novel, a number of pupils would already have studied it. And the the real danger there, I now understand in hindsight, is that what they have learned or they think they have learned is fixed. And it doesn't really matter what you say to challenge that. The idea we've already done this text, we we hear that quite a lot. Um, uh, It's... I think at the time, you know, I was a, a school librarian when The Boy in the Striped Pajamas came out as a book and um, I, history teachers were using the text and um, teachers were using the film. It was almost as though if you weren't teaching it, you weren't doing your job properly. It was the text to, to teach uh, and I'm really glad we have got away from that. Um, and the, the idea of, um, you know, it's all we've got, there's nothing else. Well. My department was in that position. Uh, and then four years ago, I, I spoke to people and, and said, we can't teach this anymore uh, and give my, my principal teacher her due. That was removed from stock immediately um, as, a, as a core text. Um, can, can
3: I just respond to Susan? Yeah. Sorry.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
3: Just about, about, thanks so much for that. I just wanted to make, i just wanted to to respond to that is that i know a primary school teacher primary seven teacher a couple of years ago who was teaching the holocaust as part of world war ii and he said to he said to the the children we're going to be doing a book as we're as we're engaging in the study and he said that the book is hannah's suitcase by Karen levine and showed them the book and they and the kids went why are we not doing the buying the Striped (laughs) pajamas but the other point i want to make though is that the point you're making about the boy in the striped pyjamas or fictional tech, especially the boy in the striped pyjamas specifically, the fact that it's in the IRA recommendation shows that this is not a UK problem. This is a European problem. So, you know, teachers, um, this is, uh, uh, IRA um, has got, uh, 30, I think it's 32 member countries, and they're mainly in Europe, but it also includes Australia, Canada, America, Israel, and Argentina. Okay? They're all saying it.
1: I think it's interesting. I'm, 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 I'm looking at the comments really quickly as well because...
0: Um, I was just uh, going to comment on that, Tom, the, the, by yeah, Mrs. Grant. So there's, there's, really, there's some really interesting and I, I think um, quite angry comments from uh, Mrs. Grant, English and Mrs. Grant. Um, it's not to I think what she said is really interesting. And I think the point we were trying to do was not to guilt trip uh, mm-hmm. teachers, that... We have money mani- that. We know there are many teachers who manage to incorporate the boy in the striped pajamas as one amongst a whole number of non fiction texts that they also use. And the kids can therefore critically question the boy in the striped pajamas because it doesn't relate to what they've done, um, uh, but it doesn't relate to what they to what they've done it and seen in the non-fiction text. What worries us, I suppose, is that there'll be some circumstances where the only text used is the boy in the striped pyjamas and where teachers are using the boy in the striped pyjamas in a particular way, right, to develop the criticality that can be developed without, um, in that sense, uh, developing, without, without, in that sense, developing the empathy for their own people if you like in the thing, then it can of course be used well. Paula gave one example of using it for assessment. The your contributors in the comments <coughs> gave another example of using it to develop example exactly the criticality and questioning that Paula and myself have been talking about. And I think that's the way to do it. but if it's the only text that you're using, I think there is a problem with it that we, we need to we, we we can't we can't get beyond. I think that's a great way way to put it,
1: that, you know, if that's going to be a young person in Scotland only teaching about the Holocaust, then choose a different book in in general. You know, if if that's all, if you're just going to do it as a novel study in an English classroom in the way we do any other novel, it it maybe doesn't work like that without bringing in other sources. And the sort of criticality we're trying to build in our young people all the time. But for all the the will in the world, there isn't always time for with every novel, you know, to go around it in those sorts of ways. Um, I'm looking at the time. It's about 10 to, to 6. Um, there's a really good point at the, uh, at the bottom here, which I think is, is really interesting. Um, Noel is saying that um, he likes the idea of using Boy in the Striped Pyjamas with S3 upwards to challenge representations, especially in interdisciplinary learning. Um, but also there might be a case in the PGDE and, and for the initial teacher training in English. Sorry for blocking you out there. There's maybe a case for saying that we should be teaching the ethics of book choice. You know, there's always this balance in English, I think, between choosing books that we know the students will like to read and choosing books that they need to read. And need includes kind of things that are going to challenge them that they're not going to think they'll enjoy, but that they'll they'll get something out of, even if it's not their favourite thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Because you do get these classes who always say, oh, you know, the class across the hallway got to do this book. When do we get to do it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I... I uh one one uh, anecdote when I went to when 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 the Holocaust was a a, a quite a challenging thing to do in primary schools my mm. kids were at a primary school in Glasgow in, in the part uh, West End area where we live um and the teacher asked me in to help the two primary seven classes one of the primary seven classes was learning about the Holocaust and the other one was doing the home front um mm. Uh, and that was the topics so that teachers had chosen, and I helped the teacher, and she then phoned me up to say there had been complaints. Um, the teachers, the kids in the class who were doing the whole front, wanted what parents wanted to know why their kids weren't doing the really interesting and valuable stuff that their friends were doing in the other class. So it was quite moving. Quite... Can I just say one minor point about the PGDE? Yeah. Mm. PGDEs, of course, so it's a PGD primary, which, where you know, um, which is an incredibly uh, challenging uh, course. It's all challenging, but the PGD primary in terms of the content, if someone with an English degree come to the PGD primary, and what are they most concerned about? I'll be quite honest, it's not the boy in the state pajamas. It's how do they teach biology in the, in the primary classroom? How do you know what I mean? But there's no reason why it can't be raised, but certainly I think in the secondary PGDE the secondary court, it could become a really interesting um, uh, uh, feature, feature of it, that kind of ethics that you were talking about. Yeah, I, I
3: think in the can I say hello to Noel? nice my my he's there, um, I I think definitely um, in the secondary, especially Tom, given that you were saying that some of the issues we're talking about in the in the, in the Boy in the Striped Pyjamas apply to other other books. You were talking about Horse. It's the same issue that applies to other books that are being used in, in in teaching English in schools. So it does it does sound as if it would be something that would be very very worthwhile looking at ethics and probably citizenship too, actually, for teachers of English.
1: No, absolutely.
3: Can I come
2: Um, in
1: there quickly? Absolutely, Susan, yeah.
2: Yeah, I I just think as a a community of English teachers in Scotland, we are much better now at at sharing ideas and sharing resources. And and there's various um, ways into that for us in terms of of Facebook and and the Twitter account that's recently been set up. And say, of course, right at the heart of that. Uh, So I think that idea of sharing texts, ideas for what's working and what isn't working um, is, is actually starting to happen. Which gives me confidence and and you know that this the freedom to be able to express some of these concerns that people have and justifications for why they they are teaching the way that they are really no.
1: helpful. I think that's a really strong point Susan. Um, if it's okay with you guys I'd like I'd like to thank you so much for coming in today and and uh, sharing your expertise your research and um, your your perspective on all of these subjects. I think sometimes in English we're uh, you know, as a, as a teaching profession, we're a big subject and we do things our own way. And sometimes we need a little bit of a, a poke in the poke in the eye and, and, and told to sort of think a bit more about things that we're doing. So it was fantastic to have uh, both Paula and Henry with us and also Susan. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your evenings and, and the weather um, down in Glasgow. It's lovely up here on sunny skies. So um, I'll say goodbye to now if you want to give me a
0: wave and say goodbye. Bye. And thanks Thank all. you very the much. Thank you for inviting us. Unfortunately, Paul, I can't see them, but never mind. I
3: can't see any comments. Is there any way I can see some of the comments, Tom?
1: You'll be able to see them on the video afterwards. Um, yeah. You can see them on the YouTube okay. video uh, afterwards. Fantastic. Okay, goodbye for now. Bye. Bye. Thank you uh, all for joining us um, in another fantastic webinar. Um, we are really, really lucky that people are able to, to give us their expertise and that we're able to offer this sort of session to you uh, today. Um, just really quickly, a bit of a plug for, uh, uh, uh Paula and Henry. Um, the book they mentioned is, uh, oh, I can't actually read it. Classroom Guidance on How to Teach Holocaust Education. Um, and also, um, they do a module at the University of West of Scotland, um, a level 11 module in citizenship and Holocaust education. And I think that's well worth checking out if you're interested in finding out more. And if you are looking for more events like this one, um, please remember to click the subscribe button below on the YouTube channel. Um, follow us on Twitter at SATEFEED and also look on Twitter um, for our podcast feed where this should be going out pretty quickly um, and you can listen to it again and you can also listen to all of our other webinars that we've been doing over the summer and the start of this year um, there uh, on the podcast feed. Sorry, I forgot what I was going to say there. Um, thank you very much for joining us today Um thank you for everyone for your comments. They were absolutely fantastic. They really do help challenge us um, in terms of our thinking when we're running these sessions. If you do have any requests or any sessions you'd like us to put on in the future, please do get in touch and we will try and find a panel um, of experts to go with it. Or maybe you'd like to come on and do something and demonstrate something about your teaching in the classroom on one of our webinars. Lovely to see you today. Thanks so much and see you next time.